Hi, I'm Jez and I'm a communication coach and I thought it would be a really cool idea for the first time ever with my business, even though I've known how to do this stuff for quite a long time, to introduce you to a few people with true talent, people who've got something interesting and good to say about what they do in business. I thought it'd be great for you to hear all about them and where they're at. So this is the My True Talent podcast. You're most welcome and enjoy the show. Lise Keeney is a true original, as they say, and uh, I'm about to prove that. But before I do, I should tell you that Lise is a communications and brand expert. She's been a publicist and currently she's a marketing director at a creative business called Serotonin. But what I like most about her is she talks. Like me, she talks perhaps a little bit more interestingly. We talked about almost anything you could talk about in an hour. We covered toilet snakes, Bill Nye and emojis racism and why we're all still a bit racist, the art of conversation, chaos and small talk. But first, I asked Lise, because I think you ought to know, why she bought a farm. Yeah, I mean, I guess the, like a lot of people, was was in the midst of COVID and um, was, was with my parents sort of watching them navigate some, some health stuff and I figured you know, if not now, when? Um, I grew up riding horses and then owning one of my own has always been at the top of my list. And I think during COVID while I was consulting, I realized that, you know, what I was doing in Chicago and New York City was also possible from a farm, quite clearly. Um, so yeah, I've, I've done it. Um, man, home ownership is expensive. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I heard a, a really good quote worth saving after I bought the farm, which is your mortgage is always the least that you'll, uh, pay. And when you rent, it's always the most. Um, so getting sort of this, this tremendous full-time, uh, front seat view of that, which, uh, very expensive, but, um, you know, uh, Fortunately, I can afford it, um, and at the same time, it's it's also one of the greatest decisions I've made. Which is extraordinary because um, I'm actually, I, you know, I've never lived on a farm, so uh, I, and that's slightly odd because obviously um, the UK is the smallest uh, backyard in the world, virtually, yeah. considering how many flipping people live here. Possibly explain why well, quite a few of us have happened to be very well in the last year. <laughs> but um, so I have been to a few farms. I stayed, when I was very young, I stayed on one or two, but I didn't really live there. Um, now you've got a horse, or maybe a few. I don't know. You may have you may have groomed the stable by now. Um, what else goes on on the farm? Is it do you, do you have do you grow things? Is it is it kind of managed? I'm fascinated by this farm, I've got to tell you. Yeah, so uh, I guess I tell people I bought a farm because uh, telling people I bought a horse property sounds pretentious and like, oh, um, oh man, you removed yourself. <laughs> this is my worst kind of hell. Um, so I bought this, this horse property. Um, it has a barn for four horses. So while I'm sort of figuring out the the kitchen renovation and, and just getting the house um, up to date, it was built in 1915 with a bunch of random additions I can't even figure out. Um, I'm renting the barn to a woman with two horses. Um, and then her neighbor asked me if I was doing anything with the garden beds, which I was not. So she planted a bunch of vegetables there. So the farm has sort of accidentally become this neighborhood hub um, where people pop by with their dogs and, and they can run around in the fields with their dogs or, uh, you know, this, this wonderful woman is, is planting tomatoes for days. Um, and then my horse border Bev has her two horses there. So I don't really do anything um, besides just let my foster dogs outside. It's, it's pretty cool. 
it's a it's a good setup for now. Because it sounds like you you can now set up a, a, a an online community called theaccidentalcommunity.com. That's a good idea. I've just given you a great idea. And and it becomes this sort of slightly hazardous but rather brilliant place for people from, from far and wide, and they will be far and wide, because I'm going to do my very, very best to make sure, and so are you, by the way, together we're going to make sure that this particular podcast flies around the world at extraordinary light speed, but from time to time landing in various um, tactical places where loads and loads of people can go, wow, this is awesome. What's that accidental community they're all going to say? And they go, oh, Connecticut, I heard that's quite nice. I once saw a film with Danny Kaye in that said Connecticut in the title, so it must be a very nice place. So they all come over to where you are, and you have kind of like, you know that this, I mean, I know you, you, you do festivals too, but the UK prides itself on its, um, you know, mad pop, popular music festivals. So you can have a festival right there, like everybody rich does here, and um, become extraordinarily well known, but in a beautiful, purposeful way, not in a nasty, I am the baron and this is my land sort of way, which is what happens in this country. Um, even if they're actual pop stars themselves, they still muck about like they're barons. But you won't, because you'll be like proper Waltons where you are. Yeah, but you know the problem about music festivals is I feel like people are like peeing and throwing up and also so I'm more like, I'm like, you are welcome to come to my farm. You can't use my bathroom. I also don't want you going to the bathroom on my property. But um, you're going to get a kick out of this. There were several names for the farm in the running, um, one of which was Big Pharma, and my mom hated it. Um, but <laughs> I am about to get a sign made called, with the sign of the, of the farm name. It's called Side of Ranch. Side of Ranch. Which I don't know if that translates in the British sense, but in America, we have, it's like tartar sauce, right? Like ketchup. Oh. You'll be like, oh, can I get a side of ranch with that? So it's going to be <laughs> side of ranch. I like that very much. I think that's very good. I think, um, and it shows me, and that's why it was the very first question, because I just thought, um, this person's got an imagination, yeah? And I think that clearly you've used your imagination in your professional life, a fair amount, because uh, I've seen your LinkedIn profile and I've worked it out all on my own. But also we had a lovely conversation beforehand. And um, I think that it's, it strikes me that you quite like, you quite like creative challenges. Am I right? Or is or just sort of completely wrong? You just, you just absolutely nailed it. Just, I, I live for creating, and this is something, and I feel like we have to, to shout uh, Lunch Club again, just if you're not a member already, score yourself an invite uh, from a friend who you know is doing it. Um, phenomenal. Meeting the coolest people on it. But um, I would say I thrive in chaos, right? Uh, and Jez, I think that was something you and I really connected on, which is shaking up the the norm and um, sort of surprising delight people in in everyday life, right? And that sort of extends professionally too sometimes. Um, because again, life is too short. So why not buy the farm and and thrive in the chaos? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, have we started, well, I think we might have talked to pirates before. Did we talk about the pirates? Did I mention them? My friends, the pirates. They're, they're, oh. There is a, there is a not, not a novel. It might, mind you, it would be quite a good novel, but there is a book written by a guy called Sam Conniff. Or when, he, when he's feeling a bit posh, he calls himself Sam Conniff-Elendi because he thinks that's a bit exotic, I think. Um, but it may have been something to do with the fact that he was married. Anyway, this guy's a bit good, and he wrote a book called Be More Pirate, which I would heartily recommend, not just to you, but to the audience at Be large. Pirate? Be More Pirate? And it's, it's based on, his, 
his hypothesis, which has now become a thing, a kind of mo a movement, if you like, um, that his original hypothesis was that pirates did it properly. Pirates knew about democracy and they used it properly in rough times, but they did it so that their ships would work and so that everybody would be okay on the ship and they wouldn't be mutiny all the time. And it was kind of, um, he, he worked out an, the idea that all pirates' ships more or less the same in terms of the way they worked, which is slightly odd, it's not all of them knew each other, but they worked out this thing. And he said that more, de more democratic organisations, more democratic countries, more de de democracies generally should be like pirates. And he talks about things like um, working out a pirate code. So instead of a constitution or rules and regulations, he talks about a pirate code, which is quite cool, um, which is the idea of this is, this is the modus, this is the way, this is the reason we all exist together. That's the pirate code. Uh, and um, and apparently uh, now they've kind of the book has been writ and loads of people have read it. Um, now uh, they have a business effectively that or consultancy that goes around um, helping people to be pirates, which is rather good. And I think you'd quite like them because I think that they they are all about. Um, uh, embrace chaos, embrace, embrace uncertainty, but most importantly, um, they believe in good trouble. I love that. Um, and you, as you were talking, I was like, what would my pirate name be? Or like, what would my pirate ship be? Yeah. And I think I would call it the Jolly Rancher. The Jolly Rancher is a good one. That's a good one. The Jolly Rancher, which has slightly, um, slightly dangerous overturns, I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, in the United States, it's also a candy. So I don't know how how many how many dangerous undertones I have that when it's also. It's like, usually food, though, isn't it? It's usually something to do with food, ranch, ranch dressing, ranch this, ranch that. It is usually to do with ranch um, or dudes. I always think of dude. I think of dudes. Do I think of dudes? Yeah, I do. We'll see. Um, with the, my uh, my mum. Yeah. Well, I feel Carry like the, the Jolly Rancher has like the the best combination, right, of the farm and the pirate situation, and then I guess the perk being it's also a candy, and who doesn't want to be associated with like green <laughs> green sour apple? <laughs> yeah, no, I completely agree, and I actually think I actually think that the great thing about the concept of the Jolly Ranch, Rancher is it it seems like uh, a um, almost like a combination of the freedom elements of being a pirate and being out on the range, or not range, but ranch actually, but a massive amount of space. Uh, and of course your space will have people coming in and uh, enjoying the land, but making sure that they do not um, defecate or anything else on the property, or come inside your actual home and uh, pee in the toilet. Yeah, I'm like trying to figure out where I'm sitting if people could like Google Maps my property. Yeah, and then parachute and then parachute in. <laughs> Just like... It's it's not gonna happen, guys. It's not gonna happen. Lisa's got her stormtroopers outside the property and you will be gone. So none, none of that drones flying around um yeah what's funny is I, I love to create chaos. Don't necessarily love to be in in chaos other people have created that's actually quite a safe place isn't it but then again um i bet you do really it's just that it's part of your comfort thing i know i'm kind of the same in fact i was kind of well not exactly moaning but <laughs> someone was asking me in the in the session before this one where it's a kind of um, little business troop I, 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 I trip along to it's a client of mine who has a session every every month and uh, um, they asked the question, um, what's your greatest fear? And I said, my fear is groups. I don't like groups of people very much. <laughs> Which is slightly odd because I'm kind of gregarious, but I'm not, in, not very good in groups. And um, so I was kind of explaining about that. But what's kind of interesting is that um, I'm probably the, when it comes down to it, the one person who try and cause as much disruption in the nicest possible way in that group. As in, I don't know about you, you're probably similar. You know, 
you're, you're kind of thinking, I wonder what we could actually do right now. <laughs> and I, you strike me as the sort of person who's kind of a bit like that. You sort of think, you know what, now I'm here, let's do some shit. Let's yeah, get on with some stuff. I think one, one, I'm more afraid of toilet snakes than I am of groups, but like, you know, you do your <laughs> Well, that's because um, you have to think about them. You know, I don't have to think about that sort of thing. We live by the sea and the nearest snake is actually, well, actually isn't that far away from enough. We do have snakes, but they're not particularly poisonous. And uh, they, they keep themselves to themselves very much. They're not after toilets, definitely not. I mean, I also don't want to spread this this rumor uh, for you that toilet snakes are common in the States or Connecticut, because they're not. It's just like a, a big fear of mine that, it, that takes off a lot of free real estate in my brain. But <laughs> what you had said about, you know, groups of people, a lot of people hate small talk, right? Like, uh, because generally it's dull. But I also find um, that, you know, Small talk is generally relegated to like, what's what have you been doing? Or like, let's talk about the weather. But I'm like, let's ask people about their pet names, right? Or like, not their pet names, but like, what are their pets' names? Yeah. And just ask questions that you're genuinely comfortable with. Obviously, keep it like work appropriate, right? But just like ask questions that you actually care about. I don't know. I feel like that's sort of like the hack for small for small talk that I feel like should not be a hack but is I quite like that I quite like the idea of small talk hack that's quite a cool idea yeah I haven't really heard of that before or I thought about it before but I think that's a that's a cool that's a cool concept so the idea is that um, when you're with people that you don't necessarily know that well one way in is and and but it's all about ultimately about business in some way, you know, helping them in various ways, or at least have maybe, as we're doing right now, helping the business community to understand shit and stuff. Um, I think it is quite a nice thing to be able to say, okay, well, here's the opener. Uh, it has nothing to do with what you're expecting, um, but it's a way of getting maybe to know you a little bit more, and it's a way to get you to relax. And so the conversation becomes a natural thing after that. I mean, that's mind motors. Not that I necessarily want to tell everybody all the time, but it is. I mean, I, I think conversation is essential when it comes to doing stuff. If you can't get your conversation going and get it going fairly quickly, then people will start to get what's known as ennui and they'll want to go away quite quickly. I love and the word ennui. It's great, isn't it? It's one of my favorite words. Um, that and alternative words to authenticity. I'm looking for, or, or, or to any alternative words to authenticity are brilliant by me. So the word of the week um, uh, that is alternative to authenticity this week is sincerity. Yeah, if you can think of an alternative word to authenticity, then I'll be particularly interested because that word is going to be banned. It's going to be put in the room 101 of Malat is the one beginning with A. But the other words are very important and they mean a lot of things. So I think, um, uh, yeah, so that's my, that's one of my pet things is changing words or rather replacing cliches with other things that mean something. Um, like the word pivot, for example, we should have an alternative word to pivot because it's come to mean something very cliche. And uh, well, in other words, sorry, that's the wrong thing to say. It's come to me mean nothing. <laughs> it's just, um, uh, but if we can come up with alternative words to the word pivot, that would be marvelous as well. So this can, we can maybe start something with this. Because I know you're quite hot on words. You're also quite hot on concept, concepts that people can rock with. What's the most brilliant, let's cut to the chase, yeah? Uh, sorry, I'm doing this room. Right, what is the most brilliant thing you've ever done for a business? Oh man, that's a good one. Um, <clears throat> So I was I was the the one behind Bill Nye explains evolution using emoji. Um, so if you look up that video, it's basically a minute and a half video of Bill Nye explaining evolution using emoji, uh, and that was part of a a GE emoji science campaign. Um, but I don't know. Um, 
Okay, so how did you come up with that? Because that sounds a bit radical. Yeah. How so did, how did you come up with that? I worked. I mean, I worked as a publicist for ten years. Um, so in that case, the agency I was working at, uh, Small Girls PR, um, was leading the the marketing and PR campaign for this uh, GE emoji science campaign. Um, but the whole thing was was living on TikTok um, or not TikTok, Snapchat, um, because this was this was many moons ago. So. Uh, they gave me 10, 10 minutes with Bill Nye. And I think a lot of publicists potentially uh, would have split this up into three interviews or um, five interviews, however many minutes they wanted to give the, the press. But I sort of went all in uh, with Mashable and I contacted a producer there and I was like, hey, I know we have basically 24 hours to figure this out, but do you want to do a video with Bill Nye? And so uh, we created this brilliant video with Bill Nye. Um, I believe the resulting video got like 15 million, or no, it was more. I think it was 158 million uh, impressions. And then it was so successful that it led to GE doing a six-part video series uh, with Bill Nye explaining different things using emoji. So that was cool. Um, it was also referenced in a New York Times crossword puzzle. So I feel like I've peaked. It's sort of a bummer. It's all downhill from there. You can't possibly say that. That's insane. You've got to come up with something, something even bigger, even better. It's funny because I think COVID's been a period when, I mean, clearly with you, it's about getting out into the country mm -hmm. and, and re-establishing your roots and all that. But now yeah. you're there and you're settled and you've just got a few domestic things to sort out. It's time to change oh, yeah. the world. It's time to change the world, right? Oh, yeah. I've, yes. I've met a couple of people on lunch, kind of interestingly, who, who've got an opportunity, probably given to them, so they're quite lucky, I guess, to change a few things. Like there's a guy here, rather brilliant geezer, who um, built what was kind of thinking, well, we're kind of short of money, but we don't really care. So what we're going to do is we're going to just do things we want to do to help other people or maybe help other businesses. So he went, he's a guy called um, Jack, Jack the Wolf, and he runs an agency over here and he got in touch with um, the struggling uh, running charities because, of course, there's, no, there's been no marathons here, no live marathons for over a year. And so um, they, were, they were struggling to make money for anyone, for any of their, because one or two of these marathons have squillions of charities they support. So he and a couple of other people, maybe more than a couple, got together um, to raise 15 million pounds just like that, which is pretty good because that's a lot of dollars, man. That's about 24 million dollars. That's pretty cool in in no time, which is good. So what we're, what we're doing, no pressure, right? Let's think of something because I'm not very good at this sort of thing. I'm good at putting ideas in people's head, but I'm not really good at actually getting on with it and just coming up with something mad, yes? But I quite like the idea of um, thinking of something a bit crazy. So we know, yeah, I mean, maybe, it, maybe it's something close to your heart. For example, um, do horses need anything right now, Lisa? The horse community. I mean, right now they probably need giant raincoats, but I think they already need those. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know what's funny is like how, how you said you were like, you know, you're due for something. I'm like, no, you know, like how certain uh, bears, um, toilet snakes, actually, um, <laughs> animals, animals go into hibernation, right? And it's sort of their, their resting, not necessarily a metamorphosis because they're coming out as the same animal. Um, but, you know, taking the time to sort of just like lay low, be pretty quiet. And then I'm like, I don't know when it's going to hit, but it's going to be an idea or a concept that it's just it, it and uh, it's going to be chaotic, I'm sure. But I'm excited to see like what my brain is is about to hatch while it's while it's sort of in this in this quiet humming phase. Um, I hope it's going to be I hope it's coming up with something at least. Otherwise, I'm just, you know, humming along in COVID times. I know the feeling because part of the reason that this whole thing, this podcast, which is not a big deal, 
But I'm quite excited about yet, it, though. Yeah, yeah, no, no, but it's going to happen. It's going to happen. But it's not a big deal in terms of the concept. The concept is um, I love interviewing people, so they're going to have to be interviewed. That's it, really. Um, the only thing is I'm quite um, big on it. So, in other words, I've done a few bits of interviewing. I love it. And um, I think I'm, I'm all right with it. So I think that people, this podcast might entertain people. In fact, it's going to entertain people. Um, but it's taken me 15 years to, to kind of think, right, I'm going to do it. The first podcast I heard was in 2005. It was by a guy called Richard Vobes, who fancied himself as a crazy jock. Um, but actually, he was quite good. He was very good, actually. And he managed to turn his podcast into a you know, bona fide, proper radio show. Um, but just using his kitchen and his bedroom and his daughter and a couple of his mates to sort of run the show and, and it was very very good and i thought i'd like to do that that would be quite fun so 15 years later having listened to quite a few podcasts that were actually just people talking to people i thought well, while you do people talking to people i'm not going to do what richard did because he was extraordinary he was doing proper radio um i'm going to do what other people do but i'm just going to do it better <laughs> i mean i like i like that you you went right because you've sort of had this like winding rep to something you probably knew that you were going to do for a while and then a, a stop along that way was actually dancing on TikTok, right yeah, yeah. obviously um but and and i i also i put the performance thing is weird but do you do you do do you do acting or anything like that do you do you sing in a band do you is there anything you do that's kind of performance related at all i hate improv I had to do an improv class for, for work one time. It was supposed to be a group bonding experience. I almost threw up on stage. I have horrible, horrible stage fright. Like, I will black out, not remember what happened up there. Like, I'll do great. Like, I'm a really good public speaker, but I will black out. I won't remember any of it. My body is just like, nope, nope. Um, Amazing. <laughs> Amazing, because I share one aspect of that, which is that I can, if I'm doing, I've only ever done sort of one or two plays, and the reason for that is because I can never remember my lines. Improv is fine by me. Improv I can do all day long, but I'm really crap at remembering lines. So if it's anything sort of like, if it's like something where I need to remember something very specific, I'm awful. I was in something, I was in Annie, a, a performance of Annie with my daughter, but this is many years ago. Okay. And um, it's a usual thing with her. It's like, oh, you do that, so I want to do it. You know, like a typical dad, oh, I want to do it. So they were looking for adults as well. And so I went along. I ended up being Roosevelt, or what it was called, in it. Oh, it's called Roosevelt. And um, uh, I was quite good. But I can remember my three lines, or however many. I, I really didn't have many lines. But I just couldn't remember them. And I remember literally that feeling of sinking into the stage. I actually felt I was sinking because I, I think it was the final night. So I was, it was actually not, I was supposed to know it by, you know, backwards and forwards and upside down and all that stuff. But I was the final night and I literally remember thinking, because I was in a, obviously I was in a wheelchair. So I, I was kind of going, this wheelchair is actually sinking. I'm sure it's sinking. And it was really bizarre feeling, you know, and it's horrific. So I understand your fear completely particularly if it goes wrong because mm -hmm. with me it's gone wrong and i'm thinking and the only thing is that i gurn a bit and i kind of um, i had a big booming voice as well which people found quite appealing so i, I kind of got away with it just but only just because it was sloppy seconds it really was it was dreadful and i kind of and that so i have that so i, I share that with you that fear of because it is fear i mean it's what that's what creates that I go through with it. I actually think, no, it's not going to. Oh dear, it's not happening. <laughs> but isn't isn't that so weird? Because I would consider myself and probably yourself like really, probably one of the more like. And I I wouldn't even say recently I'm an extrovert because I I do enjoy you know I get energy being by myself. Um, mm. but being sort of a more extroverted personality in a room, um but don't love being on stage. Nope. Yeah. 
Yeah, I get it. I get it. Well, I I love being I love being with other people, but I don't like being in a group, which is weird, isn't it? Isn't that strange? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's odd. But I yeah, it's it's kind of um, I, I guess what I guess what I I do quite like I do quite like the laughing about and performing stuff and all that TikToky stuff. But I'm 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 most curious about the power of TikTok. Perhaps we can talk about that because. It is something you know about. You know about publicity. You know about how to make people um, get people out there, man. And I wonder what you think about TikTok as a because TikTok's a yet another social media channel. I mean, you know, it's one of the the latest to the uh, ever extending, expanding universe of idiotic things to do online. But I was, I was, I've been, I've been quite impressed with what TikTok actually is capable of doing because i think it's the first t tv channel for everybody more so than youtube because it's more spontaneous so what do you think but what do you think what do you think about tiktok yeah so <clears throat> i guess if you would ask me maybe like a week ago um my answer would have been very different than than what it is now and obviously you know i I try and avoid getting political on things like this, right? Um, but at its core, I, I believe in free press and, um, you know, people being allowed to free press with, with, uh, within reason, right? So don't believe in hate speech and, and stuff like that. But um, over the last couple of days, I believe it was, it was TikTok, right? That, uh, has banned um, creators from saying anything about BLM, um, and uh, I think that's a that's a really difficult decision, right? Um, yes, um, and so I think that sort of gets really complicated, right? Because they are, uh, it's they've created this platform which has done really well because, you know, and yourself having done a lot of these TikTok dances, the people who are, are spinning those up are, are black creators. Um, and uh, over the last couple of weeks, there was also uh, a, uh, what's that called? A, um, oh my goodness, a strike. Um, black creators basically went on strike and, and decided not to do any more TikTok dances because, uh, what was happening was was the TikTok dances were going viral. Um, a lot of white influencers, um, one of which went on the, the Tonight Show, um, and she she did the dances, but the original creators who were all black um, were not giving credit for having created those those dances, and that happens quite a bit, right? So. Um, I think it's a it's difficult that TikTok is making has become so successful on the backs of black creators um, and obviously other creators, white creators, um, people people of all color and, and creeds. But to make such a bold decision where creators can't even mention Black Lives Matter anymore in their posts just strikes me as gross. I'm shocking. I've got to find out more about that. I had absolutely no idea. And um, I, it's weird because I've been educating myself a little bit more on uh, the Black Lives Matter matters, matter, which um, and I thought today, because I didn't know the precise origin. And in fact, it's probably difficult to know the precise origin of the word Negro. But I thought I'm going to find out as much as I can in before breakfast, or actually during breakfast, about the origin of the word Negro, because I assumed that it was something that had been um, labelled by white people. So in other words, it was a label for uh, people, Africans, black Africans, um, uh, to describe them. Apparently, uh, it was used first, I think, by the Portuguese, as in the Portuguese colonialists in Africa. Right. Uh, and you, and interestingly, a lot of this, I think, was sort of west to central Africa. So I think it's probably Nigeria and what is known, what became known as the Congo, and that that sort of area. 
uh, and Niger and close to our own interest in really, of course, Niger is, Nigeria effectively means land of the black, um, or black, which because Niger is black, which is kind of interesting as well. But Negro is from Niger, from, um, I think, Miguel, or, and it's, it's Latin, of Latin, kind of Latin expression, I think, but also Portuguese and Spanish. And it was interesting how this word has traveled. So, and it's interesting about the history, particularly in the 20th century in, in, in the States, of how Negro got to be used and appropriated by different sections of society. So for example, it was um, Martin Luther King used it in his famous 1963 speech in a sort of practical way to describe the race. And Malcolm X had said, we don't use that word. And he came up with the, the phrase Afro-Caribbean. Afro uh, sorry, Afro-American. He was also Afro-Caribbean, but he was Afro-American. He was probably Afro. And then that became African-American, which is more typically used now by the population. But what I'm really shocked about, despite all this extraordinary nomenclature and, and appropriation and progress, you know, since the American Civil War and before, um, is this appalling thing, which is um, there is still a supremacy and there is still, uh, or appears to be, um, certainly from this distance, and still this um, laziness about what it actually means if you're not black, or oh, come to think of it, if you're not privileged, or if you're not in the driving seat. And um, the great thing about COVID is that people have had quite a lot of time, a lot of people have had quite a lot of time, those haven't been suffering, have had quite a lot, even those who have been, um, to think about certain things um, to do with the world. And that has been one of the primary things. And thank goodness for the United States of America, who are the best people at promoting almost anything that they have done. Because if, if it hadn't been for what's happened, what happened last year, then certainly no one over here would be particularly asked, I don't think. Yeah. Um, they yeah. certainly wouldn't be thinking about it in the same sort of way. I mean, my daughter was amazing at that. I mean, she was just, she was woke, as it were, almost as soon as it started, because of course she's very sensitive to what she sees. Uh, she's 20, so she's not really young, but she's, she's of that, you know, it just, she sees something goes, right, uh, binary, yes, no, and she was absolutely, yeah, this is, I get it completely, utterly. and she was able to explain to me, with my slightly confusing nature, and what it was, and um, uh, in a very clear way. And so I have to say, yeah, it's quite a, th a thing. And so from your point of view, I can see how TikTok has pissed you right off. Yeah, and to, um, so just to, uh, so they blocked creators from adding Black and Black Lives Matters um, to their bias, um, which, yeah, is sort of a huge, I think the beautiful thing about TikTok was that people were able to express themselves and it was a short form way of sort of flying around these both very funny but also very impactful um, clips that people were creating. And I think it's just, ah, it, it just sucks, right? That, you know, there have been so many black creators on the platform creating these fantastic pieces of content that is essentially become why TikTok is so popular, um, it just seems pretty shit, you know? Um, and it, it really was such a such a place where um, people were able to, to be active on the community in regards to, um, you know, uh, advocating for change and, and making people like myself, like your daughter, um, who then pass along to you aware of these systemic um issues right like you know there was a TikTok, and it was it was a i believe it was a black man and he was talking about uh you know things that you don't think about when you work so not being able to find band-aids that that suited your skin tone like 
coming from a place of privilege where that was never something that I had to deal with, I was like, oh my God, you know, it's, it's awful, Des. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's, it's quite, it's quite, horrend it's quite horrendous. Um, and I think it's still, it's like that thing about how long is it going to take us to grow up? You know, but it's going to take us as long as it's going to take us, and that's just the way we're going to have to deal with it. You know, I yeah. think I think it, it's it's um, but so long as there are people like and you and to a certain extent, I hope to a large extent, me, um, people are just thinking about um, the nature of racism, of prejudice, uh, what it actually because when I was growing up. I grew up in a very prejudicial family, a hyper-prejudicial family, so I was, in, I was in influenced by it because that was going to happen, you know? And it took my gentle rebellion, which was very gentle because I, you know, I still certainly love my family, well, certainly the, the, main, the main, as it were, culprit in terms of, if you want to call it that, in terms of prejudice was my mum, and I got on really well with my mum. And she, she was exceptionally racist, really, quite seriously racist. And now we consider it to be, you know, quite shocking. Um, clearly, she would have she she uh, modified her, her views and probably changed them as she got older. But when I was young, it was unbelievable. And and I think it was ignorance, of course, of course it was ignorance, and of course it was based on reaction, but. The, 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 the sort of things that people say in this country and the sort of people, things that people say in your country as well. And I remember when I came over to, to uh, stay with my, my uncle many years ago, who lived in DC, the different types of people you meet. Because he was a, you know, he was a liberal because he worked for the government. You know, he was, I mean, well, he worked for a governmental organization. So, you know, in the center of Washington, you know, upper crust-ish, um, sort of official, if you like, worked for the IMF, so it was that, that sort of character. And so he was pretty liberal-minded, but, and so the people he knew were pretty liberal, but I've met some pretty sort of scary, on the borderline people. They, this was some years ago, but nevertheless, they still exist, I know they do, I know they do. Yeah. And I mean, the thing is that, that we that we sort of all have to remember is we're all a little bit racist, right? So being able to to recognize and check that bias, and I think, you know, uh, unfortunately, generations before us, the racism was was certainly more overt, um, and now we consider ourselves woke, and we don't believe we're, we're racist, but. I think inherently there too, there lies some danger in regards to walking around and believing you're woke when in real, when in reality we do still have these like embedded like racist um, tendencies, and it's important for us to be like, oh shit, I didn't even like I didn't even think that was a problem, but it is, and I need to work on that, um, you know, because what we see is like definitively racist uh, practices that were going on in like the the 50s and, and beyond that. Um, I think maybe and hopefully uh, 20, 30 years from now, people will look at us and be like, oh my God, that was also wildly racist, right? So just like... <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you said, I'm really glad you said that, yeah? I think it's the first conversation I've had with someone. Well, personally, I'm glad you said that. It's the first conversation I've had with someone who actually has said openly, we're still racist. I'm, I know that there are going to be times where I will say something or, you know, I will find myself in a situation and I'll be like, that was not great and that's uncomfortable for myself, but also, like, I mean, even more uncomfortable for uh, my black friends that have to, you know, witness me sort of stumble my way through. Um, but I think without that discomfort, there's there's not growth. So if you're not uncomfortable, um, 
you're not growing. And also keeping in mind, like, your black friends are not there to, to help you grow, right? Like That is really important. I was just thinking that. And funny enough, I have a, I have a, a trans friend who uh, is effectively gender neutral. So, you know, they're um, on a mission in many ways. But a gentle mission because it's just what they've chosen. They're not going to preach because it's just what they've chosen. But if someone calls them she, as I have actually said many times, then there's some education to be done. But they've said, it's not my job, it's your job. Mm -hmm. And as you were, before you said what you said, I was thinking, yeah, and I guess the next thing to say, which you said for me, is we're responsible for our own actions. We're responsible for learning. We're responsible for our views. No one else is. And I guess, to paraphrase you, I guess, because I, you know, I, I think that's so important. Yeah, you know, we cannot rely on people to, to you know, help me out here. You know, help me out. Tell me, tell me, save me. Because that's what it almost sounds like. Save me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, bullshit. Basically, it's up to you. It's quite straightforward. You find out whatever you can find out to educate yourself, because we've all got that information in front of us. It's all available. Everybody has it, all ages. And I guess it's up to maybe older people, and I don't mean as in much older people, I mean people who are more adult, um, to guide younger people who are very young. But then younger people who are very young, from around about the age of nine, will probably well know what they think anyway, so long as they're not exposed to um, prejudicial, racist um, stuff. And, um, and I mean, or at least stuff that's designed to influence them in a particular way. Everybody's exposed to this stuff. Yeah. In the end, it comes down to what's right. And I, I, I yeah. What's, what's sort of cool too is, uh, you know, looking at it from the very much, because I think generational shifts take, take a long time, right? And so it's sort of hard to see, uh, you know, those evolve. But I think what's really cool, right, is your, your daughter, when she eventually has children, right, um, are going to grow up in a world where gender is, uh, is beyond just he and she, right? Um, like that wasn't something I grew up with. Uh, and so that's something we're learning now. But how cool is that, that kids nowadays are growing up knowing the per this person likes to be referred to as they. Um, like, that's really cool. And it does give me a lot of hope for, you know, how the world is changing. In a lot of ways, it's changing really slow and it's frustrating. Um, but there is that, like, that learning and that the need for that message to grow in terms of, you know, I think there's been a lot of growth in the US and it's inspiring growth around the world, but that's sort of the seismic, very glacially paced um, growth. But it is really cool um, seeing how, you know, in other ways the, the world is evolving, but man, we have a lot of work to do. We certainly flipping do, but um, that seems to be the most natural place for us to gently bring this to kind of down down to earth and land in your backyard which looks like a really lovely sort of field going on there. just gently in our in our um, hot air balloon just let out the air and just gently come down to rest and so it was a fantastic talking to you i've got to say it was absolutely brilliant that time flew by it did didn't it i and it was it's the best because i feel like that was similar to our lunch club where we're like oh we're like super simpatico um, so it was beautiful it yeah. was really beautiful i really enjoyed it i think i think that um there's nothing i think what have we learned i do a jerry springer thing what have we learned i think we've learned that there is nothing better than conversation because conversation can become as silly or as profound as you want it to be and hopefully in fact i'm pretty much sure that it will entertain whatever masses we can cobble together these together and yeah. also obviously i'm going to get other people other people to join in and 
the plan is to have a beautiful, beautiful webinar type thing, all of us together, so we can meet and jabber to our heart's content. Because um, I think that would be utterly worthwhile. Because in a bizarre sort of way, in a beautiful sort of way, this is going to be a bit of our, our movement. Our movement. Our movement. I love that. Oh, and we can do, we can bring your friend in and it'll be an our movement. And yeah, we definitely get the pirates in. But that's but season but that is season two, I have to tell you, because the lunch club is season one, pirates is season two. And because uh, they're not allowed in the lunch clubs, if I didn't meet them at the lunch club, but the lunch clubs are beautiful. And uh, they are season one of podcasts. And um, actually, I've nearly, I've nearly completed season one already in terms of the number of people. Otherwise, it would get silly. I just keep going to lunch club all the time. Which is, I don't want to be working for you, lunch club. I just want to point out that you've, um, you've kind of given us all a beautiful excuse to have a lovely natter from time to time with people that live the other side of the world. Yeah, I mean, um, I. I sort of, um, if I come on for episode two, I was like, I wasn't sure if this was going to also be like an on-camera situation. Um, so got an unfortunate, a rather unfortunate thing from yesterday. Um, but I was like, oh, I wonder if it's going to be on camera, in which case maybe I should wear like my pepperoni pizza onesie. And then it was like, I was like, no, it's a podcast. That's silly. Because then I'm doing a podcast while wearing a pepperoni pizza onesie. But now I regret it. So... Well, the opportunity for you to do that again, because we'll definitely do it again. I would you love can't that. Just, you can't just be on it once. No, that would be stupid. But you, and also you've broken the record. I think you are the longest uh, podcast E. I think the last one was something like, I could be wrong, I could be wrong, but I think it was 51 minutes, not 53 minutes. Just better come up to 53. Look but at that my pepperoni pizza tangent just sort of edged edged the other person out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that comment, uh, that comment was a beautiful comment, which is worth savouring. Can you imagine that pepperoni pepperoni pizza onesie? I can mean, so, um, yeah, is well, a beautiful thing. We I mean, maybe we should have that as the artwork for the podcast. Actually, that's what we should do. Wait, so send me a picture yes. of you in your pepperoni pizza per per podcast per 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 thing onesie. And uh, we'll do that. Right. Okay. I'm now going to end pod, uh, broadcast. And for the purposes of you only, um, don't go away. But for the purposes of the people who are possibly watching, listening, and actually applauding, yeah, um, it, it's been lovely talking to you. Please come again. And um, uh, let's get even more crazy next time. Hell yeah. Let's do it. Bye, guys. <laughs>